correctly with the correct amount. D20 Radio, where gamers roll. radiocom Welcome to Me and Steve Talk RPGs, a podcast where me and my friend Steve try and help you get the most out of your role-playing game experience. Hey, what's up, Gamer Nation? Welcome back to Me and Steve. And Unfortunately, this week we have only one Steve, so hello. But this week we are going to once again try to talk with Ren LeBeau from the Aegis podcast or Adventure Game Engine Interest series because... They were kind enough to talk to me oh, a week and a half ago, but unfortunately, we had a technical snafu and the recording didn't work. So we've decided to try it again. So please welcome back, Ren. Hello, I'm here again for the first time. Yes, again for the first time. There we go. That makes sense. I like it. So, uh, yeah, I figured we'd get you to come on. The original purpose was to talk a little bit about the uh, adventure game engine from Green Ronin, which uh, would seem, at least from, from your podcasting, to be your engine of choice, so to speak. It is. But one thing, I guess, we didn't even actually remember to talk about this when we talked last. How did you initially get into gaming? Me getting into gaming? Ooh. Uh, so, I don't think I have necessarily a very like twisty turny story what i think happened was back when i was in high school a friend of mine made his own custom final fantasy tabletop role-playing game he made it himself from the ground up and it was buggy as all get out as a tabletop rpg could be buggy but it you know it had a lot of rough edges but he wanted to make it all inclusive so he wanted to do like include every numbered final fantasy for character options and wanted to include a bunch of spin-offs and it was really ambitious and weird and he wanted to like sell it back to Square Enix it was wild we had a lot of fun with it and i couldn't remember in the slightest how it played but from there we tried uh D&D 4th ed I had some weird experiences with the D&D 3.5, and I, I still have some very good friends who regret giving me a very unfortunate first exposure to, like, third third edition Dungeons & Dragons, because it was, it was a pirate campaign being run at our high school, but it was a PvP-enabled Dungeons & Dragons, because we were all playing pirate crews, and two of our pirate crews went fighting, and, like, my first character was like, I'm gonna be elf, and... I have a bow. That sounds cool. And then one of my best friends rolls up to me with this weird tricked out flesh golem character and turns me into chunky salsa with one swing. And (laughs) at that point I was like, you know what? I think I'm good. (laughs) I didn't touch it for years after. And then I got into an, actually a campaign with evil characters when I got into college and I had some, I had some fun with it. My character couldn't roll for beans, but I had a good time. There's a bit more, but, um, (laughs) you know what? We all have those weird three, five was a different animal. And I would think playing three, five in a PVP would be tough because I mean, even five E now is very sensitive to system mastery, but three, five was obnoxiously. So I did not know what I was getting myself into when I stepped into that (laughs) room. I had, you know, my friends were having a lot of fun, but the friends who were running it were the kinds of players who knew where every, like, blot of ink on every D&D rulebook was. So they could build the character that they wanted, and I was just like, Ranger seems nice. Yeah, that's, I mean, well, I think that's why 3-5 went away, because it, it just got too... How do you want to say it? Like it, it, it was too sensitive to system mastery, and and thus kind of became, I think, unintentionally gatekeepy. Yeah, because new people just didn't feel like they could compete without spending God knows how many hours memorizing God knows how many rules. I think it is a very rare case of a game becoming too big. Yeah, that's fair. And I think that that's what one of its weaknesses was near the end. Uh, and also, you know, one of its strengths, because it did what it was supposed to, and some folks had fun with it, some folks didn't. I just happened to be one of those folks who had a rough time getting into it with some of the friends that I was playing with. 
I did not find a great group to get started with. And the, the friend who killed my character with his flesh golem still feels bad about it to this day. And he apologizes for it every time we bring it up. Uh, and and he's he's made changes since then. But, you know, there was it's you know, you only have one first impression. And unfortunately, I had a weird one. Given the fact that I'm doing a role playing game podcast, hopefully, obviously, it's definitely gotten a lot better. <laughs> well, you know, like, and and oh, good heavens, we could spiral off down this debate for <laughs> hours. But like, the thing too, though, is character death doesn't mean you didn't have a good time. You know, I a couple months ago, I ran a one shot in uh, Delta Green for a bunch of listeners on the podcast, and it ended up at the very end being a total party kill, Ooh. and they all loved it. <laughs> Very nice. Yeah, which, okay, yes, it's Delta Green is an offshoot of Call of Cthulhu, so you kind of expect bad things to happen in the end. But uh, now the one player I pl- used to play with, actually played Call of Cthulhu with when I was in college, you know, like a long, long, long time ago. And I knew that he was going to be cool with it, but the rest of them, I was a little skittish, but it's like, uh, okay, well, yeah, muzzle flash in an area with heavy gasoline vapors. That's not going to be good. <laughs> But in any case, you didn't come here to talk about that. You came here to talk about the Adventure Game Engine. I'd love to. All right. So, well, that and a little bit about your podcast as well. So uh, where would you like to start? Uh, let's start with the podcast and how I got into age, I guess. Goodness. Uh, I actually, I originally bought the first age game that came out, which was Dragon Age. And that is the age game that all of the others spawned off of. Way back when, when Dragon Age Origins originally came out, Green Running was approached by the folks at Bioware, and the folks at Bioware were making a dark fantasy adventure, and they were like, we all love tabletop role-playing games. What if this video game had a tabletop role-playing to come out with it? So they got Chris Bramus to design the Dragon Age role-playing game, which came out in a box. Very classic. That first box only covered levels one to five, and they were their plan was to do another box for each five levels after that to expand the game a little more test it out a little bit, see how people are using it, and add heftier and heftier adventures. I managed to find the Dragon Age role-playing game at a Gen Con one year, and I loved the video game, so on a whim, I was like, you know, this looks like it's probably on sale. I think it's dented. I'll take it. And then it sat on my shelf for a couple of years. The classic story. And then one, one fateful year, I took it off the shelf and was like, let's give this a try. And since then, I have run a multi-year Dragon Age campaign. We're getting into a multi-year Fantasy Age campaign. I made The Wonders of Thetis, which is what this podcast was before it became the Adventure Game Engine Interest Series back in 2016. Uh, And yeah, and it's been off to the races ever since. Fair. Yeah, I was going to say, you guys do a mix of of actual play and theorycraft, I guess, or or game advice. Game advice, uh, mechanical deep dives, and interviews. Okay, I haven't, I haven't caught one of your interview episodes yet, but... Uh... Hoping to get some more soon. Uh, the folks at Green Ronin are, of course, plenty busy. <laughs> well, let's put it this Them being busy is good for the rest of us, right? Right. I sure think so. <laughs> All right. So, I mean, I know a little bit about it from, from some research I've done, and then I also... Well, we had this conversation once already. So, uh, you know, I do know that their dice mechanic is kind of... It's not completely foreign, but it's unique and a lot more flexible than the classic F20 D20 system. Yes. The adventure game engine runs on 3D6s. One of those dice has to be a separate color from the other two. That one's important. And it comes up a lot in every age game. Uh, But you only need 3D6s to play this game. It certainly doesn't hurt to have more. You can probably find uses for them and... Let's be real. If you're listening to a role-playing game podcast, you probably got plenty. Um, yeah. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> That's my main dice bag, not my backup dice bag. Oh, geez. <laughs> I got a box of D6s that I use just for age games, and I've got... but And because a couple of them were licensed dice sets, I have specific dice sets for specific systems. Uh, Dragon Age and Blue Rose both got custom dice sets made, and I got a couple of color-coded ones for Fantasy Age. Wow, that's cool. Have you seen, I forget where I've been seeing them on, on Facebook or somewhere, the, the Dragon Eye dice that somebody's working on? I'm sure I have. That sounds really fun. But, uh, yeah, shiny math rocks. We all love shiny math rocks. You only need three of those shiny math rocks to play an age game. 
And if you got if you got it for one game, you can use it to play any of them. Cool. So, yeah, you said there's no, well, there's what there's five games out right now technically that run on this engine. Yes, I would say that uh, Fantasy Age and Modern Age are very general purpose games that are meant to accommodate a lot of different genres and a lot of different styles of play. And then they've got three role playing game systems out that are the same system but tweaked for that individual setting and that individual feel. Okay. Dragon Age is a dark fantasy role-playing game, uh, so combat can be a little bit rough, and you can be possessed by a demon if you really flub your magic spell. Sounds like fun to me. Yeah. Uh, Blue Rose is romantic fantasy, and magic is galore in that game, so magic is very easy to do, and it introduced new mechanics like relationships. You can use a lot of tarot cards to run the game if you want, if you happen to have a set. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah, and the Expanse RPG is uh, based on the Expanse series of books and the Amazon TV sh- the Amazon TV show. It is science fiction and very excellent science fiction. I finished the first book. I haven't touched any of the show yet, but I'm beginning to see the hype. Very cool. Yeah, I I, I haven't seen any of the show. I keep hearing about it and keep thinking about it, but I always have something else to do other than watch TV, mm. which is frustrating at times. But you know, that's life. You got all these RPGs to play. Exactly. Exactly. You got that big old reading list. Yeah, well, that too. Yeah, don't don't remind me about that. <laughs> um, you know, and, and and then there's like the things that you want to read because you want to do a game based on this or these three things yes. matched together. And I am absolutely that GM that no matter what media I'm consuming, I am simultaneously thinking, how could I get this into my game? Well, okay. And am I the only one, too, that you occasionally just have these weird thoughts that hit you out of left field? Like, well, what would it be like to run a, an inverted post-apocalyptic world? Like, where everything all of a sudden became better? Ooh, hope. I believe that's called hope punk. <laughs> <laughs> There's a lot of punks out there, and I, I believe that one's called hope punk. Fair enough. It just, like, the idea struck me, like, you know, and, and would you play it from the angle of, like, you were the, the, you know, the evil necromancer or the, you know, the bad monsters or whatever, and all of a sudden everything got bright and sunny, and now what do you do? Or, you know, how would you do it? Oh, man. Uh, there's also Solar Punk, which has a very similar vibe. <laughs> I've been looking into that one lately because I've been trying to, con- I, I get once again, I've been trying to find ways to integrate the, the vibe into my setting. Fair. All right. Before I sidetrack you again, let's get back to what oh, we're well, that's, that's to do. <laughs> So yes, the expanse is, is the sci-fi, and then you know you said you have obviously the two modern age and fantasy age, which are sort of settingless as far as express setting, but intended mm-hmm. for you to to play. You know, at least in a well modern age, not necessarily a homebrew world, but somewhat of a homebrew setting, I suppose, in in mm-hmm. regards to plot and so on and so forth. Uh, fantasy age and modern age do not have sort of like the express settings, but they do have a couple of settings that are made to accommodate them very well. Incidentally, this is something I'm, I'm not going to say anything very particular about a playtest that took pl- place recently, but there is a lot of information that is uh, publicly accessible because there is a discord where it was discussed openly and there are live streams that green running has done where it was discussed openly. But uh, fantasy age has a new core rulebook that's supposed to be coming out this year. And there was a playtest for it earlier this year. So we got to see a lot of things that they are going to be revamping, consolidating from other age games that came out after it and sort of bringing them back around to make a shiny uh, new and improved fantasy age. Uh, it's not a second edition. It's just meant to replace your basic rulebook, which you can put back up on the shelf and remember all the good times it gave you. But you got this big old new rulebook with you and it covers a lot more. It'll be a bit more, uh, uh, I guess, more robust They've had a lot of time to figure out emergent behaviors from games, so I'm very personally excited for it. Revised and expanded, so to speak, not so much changed. Yes, that's a good way to put it. Well, that's see, I to me, that's always kind of been my thing. You know, even back when when I first started gaming, you know, like yeah, you had all your your pre-made settings for various things, but every time I played something, it was always a very customized world, and so that's kind of just. I kind of bounced a little hard when I realized how many people actually like play all these, you know, modules and, and pre-written adventure paths. I'm like, really? We never did that. Gotcha. Yeah. The, the, uh, custom campaign versus pre-written adventures 
is quite the fork in the road. Yeah, yeah, and not that either one is better than the other, but it was just, like I said, for me, it was a little bit of a shock to realize that, you know, because my exposure had all been pretty much exclusively custom campaign stuff, mm. and and then it's like, oh, wow, really? People, wow, I didn't know people, you know, like, I knew some people bought them, but, like, I thought you just bought them to get the pieces you wanted out of it and rearranged them into your own thing. Gotcha, yeah, yeah. All right, so where are we at here as far as... Because I know we're we're diverging like all kinds of crazy here. Well, you know, we're having a good time. That, that's true. That's the whole point, right? So you've got these five games that, that all use the same basic engine, and you do it with 3D6, but the one needs to be different. And I think that was where we really started heading off down rabbit trails. <laughs> so yes. why does one need to be different? When you play Age, you have three six-sided dice, and one of these dice is called by several names, but it's usually called the Stunt Die, and you use it for a couple of things. Uh, All you need to do for your dice is make sure that you know which one is the Stunt Die, even if they're all separate, even if they're, like, all separate colors. As long as you got the one that you can point at and say, that's the one, that's all you really need. It is used for a number of functions in the Age systems. You use it for tracking success. A higher number means better success. A lower number means success, but to a lesser degree. You use it to break ties if two people roll on the same number. And you use it to track how many stunt points you generate. And that's that's, that's one of the big selling points for age is that when you're rolling these 3d6s, if you roll two of the same number on any of the dice, you get to generate stunt points as long as your test was successful. Age does not focus quite so heavily on whether or not you succeeded on a test age is much more focused on uh, how well you succeeded on something. And those stunts are where that can come in so that you can get points to spend to get extra effects out of your successful test. Aha. So each iteration of age has some of its own stunts. A lot of them share a couple of stunts like mighty blow, get an extra D six of damage. That's in every age game. It's pretty straightforward. If you are playing, let's say, Modern Age, there's a whole table of grapple stunts. They just added a table of zero gravity stunts. All of the games will have things like exploration and social and combat stunts. There are dozens in Modern Age's basic rulebook case, uh, more than 100 stunts that are available to you. So you've got a lot of options, uh, but they are grouped and categorized for for your ease of use. Okay. Now, to ask the, the, the kind of the obvious question, though, that's, I mean, mm-hmm. that's a lot to keep track of, especially when you're new. I mean, I'm assuming some of them are, what do you want to say? Like, everyone, I'm sure, has their, their handful of favorites, but... For sure. Going through the stunts and picking some of your favorites is never a bad idea. It gives you a lot of options, and a couple of the Age games do give you a couple of avenues to sort of make it a little easier. Modern Age defines a bunch of stunts that are considered core stunts, uh, stunts that are most generally useful in a lot of situations. A lot of GMs will recommend that you kind of ease in on stunts. Maybe not necessarily like the first time the person rolls two fours, you hand them like three pages that have 120 different options and say, (laughs) go for it, champ. Uh, A lot of folks will usually kind of like take one category of stunt, usually combat stunts, because those are very exciting, and just put those in front of the players and say, if you get doubles, these are how much they cost. Fair. Yeah, like I, I've read over the quick start a little bit, not a, fully read it, but but glanced over it. And it, mm-hmm. it does seem, what do you want to say, like to a certain point and also based on our, our last conversation that no one else gets to hear. Just you know, for it, us. <laughs> it seems like a game, too, that doesn't need to be any more complex than you want it to be. Yes, for sure. Age is very much a toolbox game. It does what you ask it to. It doesn't break very easily, and it's extremely easy to mod. And I think that that's when it works best, is when the GM really grabs it by the cheekbones and does whatever you really need for your game. You can pick up the basic rulebooks and just run them as is. They work just fine. There's plenty of fun to be had in there. But usually, like, the second or third book in each of like the basic lines like fantasy age and modern age both have a companion that has a whole bunch of extra rules that you can use. None of them are required. They're not considered like, like if you want to do a skill challenge the game uh, or use explosives, you do not have to use modern ages, extra rules for explosive devices, but you can, and they give you some scaffolding. One of the things that I really like about the age system is that it gives you a lot of framework to 
give you a good idea of how the game probably should work, but it's also very good at getting out of your way so that you can have it run exactly as you want it to. That's cool. Yeah, that's that's one of the things I know sometimes I run into is it's like, well, I want this to happen, but it doesn't really work that way mechanically. And mm. Right. Age is very good for that. Let's see. Uh, some basics about age. Every age game that you come across is going to have its own modifications to make it unique for its particular circumstances. Modern age has, say, like a lot of technology and guns in it. And uh, fantasy age has a lot of magical powers and specializations and talents that specifically require on some magic being available in the setting. Mm-hmm. Dragon Age has a lot of demons in it, and Blue Rose has got a lot of very excellent feelings in it. But there are three things to know about age games, and they are ability tests, your abilities, focuses, talents, and specializations, and stunts. All right. Yeah. The core of age is that you will roll 3d6s, add an ability score, compare it to a target number. If you meet it or beat it, then you succeeded at the test. That's the barest of bones. They do it a couple of ways. That one is basic test. You just, the GM gives you a number and you try to hit it. If someone is working against you, you'll probably roll an opposed test, in which case you just need to beat their number. If a test doesn't feel quite right being done, like with just one test, like if you want to say like do research in a library, rolling rolling an intelligence research test once might feel a little inappropriate. You can do an advanced test where you actually track how much success you make over each test to help determine how long it takes for you to complete a task. You can also use those to create very tense situations where like the thief needs to pick a lock on a door while there are goblins uh, careening down the hallway after them and everyone's shouting, get the door open. I'm trying, I'm trying. Ah, dang it, I failed another test. Okay, yeah, so you can kind of like do it almost like the skill challenge mechanic that you know is popular in like Genesis or I've heard some people use them in D and D too, or is this more even just for a single player? I guess you could use it both ways. Maybe you could advanced tests are really just a test that lets you track how long it takes you to complete a task that you couldn't just like do in a round. And if you want to go even deeper, they have started introducing the concept of challenge tests, which are actually like what you just said. They're skill challenges. Ah, okay. They usually leave a lot of room for what skills can be used to advance the challenge. And they'll usually have uh, bigger consequences for failure than just not picking the lock this round. Okay. You would usually use a challenge test as an entire encounter. I used one fairly recently, eh, relatively recently in my campaign, to have the heroes uh, traverse a city that is currently like in the midst of some unrest. There are explosions going around. There are factions of this sort of city of scum and villainy out in the streets fighting. So they're making challenge tests to move about unseen, unharmed. And uh, if they failed their tests particularly poorly, they would get hit by errant explosions. Uh, They would maybe take some injuries or I'd throw an entire combat encounter at them. Cool. If they really beefed it. (laughs) Well, that's half the fun of the game, right? Exactly. So. Rolling tests. I'm sorry, I'm I'm grabbing your podcast by the wheel and just kind of going for it. Feel free to stop me at any time. Usually, it's 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 kind of a wild, rambly ride. Anyway, that's kind of what we go for. So, oh, very good. Well, your character has attributes that you'll keep track of on that character sheet of yours, mm-hmm. and I'll mention them in increasing uh, in uh, ascending order of specificity of what each one's used for. Okay, you got abilities, focuses talents and specializations each hero in an age game has nine abilities is your accuracy which is usually used for light melee weapons and ranged weapons your communication your constitution your dexterity your fighting which is your ability usually to use heavy melee weapons sometimes they use it for wrestling intelligence perception strength and willpower anything that you'll be doing you'll probably be rolling 3d6 and adding one of those ability scores Okay. Now, just because, again, a lot of people coming from D&D backgrounds, Uh 3D6 is how you get attributes. So, you know, a lot of people are then going, okay, so now I'm going to have to add something between, say, 8 and 14 to what I already roll. Is that the way this works? Or are the attributes not as big numbers to deal with? Because I know a lot of people bounce when there's math involved to too much extent. 
Fair enough. Uh, the numbers are actually pretty small to start with. Okay. A level one character in an age game, if you work real hard at it, could start with an ability score of five. Okay, that's pretty pretty easy to, to deal with then. Yeah. You can roll 3d6s to generate your ability scores, and they actually have a table for what each roll determines, usually averaging about to a one. And an average ability score for any person, for I think what age usually says is that an average adult has an ability score of one. Okay. So you're not dealing with nearly as big a numbers as, as people are accustomed to with D&D or Pathfinder or anything like that. Yes. Uh, the number that you have is the number that you add to the 3d6. That also makes it easier, too. It is, however, possible to start with negative numbers for stats. Yeah. Okay. That's fun. Yeah. You can choose to do it, or uh, if you're rolling for them, then it's definitely more possible. I think the lowest you can start with is a negative two. You know what, though? Like, I, I always like having a character with at least one low stat because it's like a, a roleplay tool to lean on. Yeah, gives them some flavor. Yep. Uh, now, within uh, all of those abilities are pretty general by, by design. You roll. You can roll dexterity for all kinds of things, like uh, rolling for initiative or balancing across a beam or doing calligraphy is one of is one of the options. But within each of those abilities is something called a focus, and a focus generally means that your character has either special training or particularly excellent aptitude at a particular task. And what focuses do is that when the GM calls for a test and you have a focus that applies to the test, then you get a plus two on the roll. Okay. So if you're trying to bust a door down and the GM calls for a strength might test, everybody can roll just a regular strength test. But if you've got the might focus, you get a plus two on it. Okay. Pretty straightforward. And uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I like it that way. And it, it lets you add a little bit of flavor and it's, but you can still always just roll 3d6 add ability. Give it a best shot. Cool. Let's see. After focuses, uh, we get into talents which is kind of like class powers that you can pick out. Some talents are held to a particular class in the age games that have classes. Some of them do not. But talents basically let your character do extra stuff. They won't get... Sometimes they give you a numerical bonus, but sometimes they'll give you a special power. Like, if you have novice two-handed style, if you hit somebody with a two-handed weapon, you can force them to move two yards, uh, either forcing them to give ground to you or because the heft of your weapon pushes them. Okay. That's cool. It's, it's like extra stuff, but it doesn't necessarily just add more numbers to the mix. Not necessarily. And sometimes they will give you, they will do something simple like let you re-roll particular tests. Uh, there's a lot of rogue, sta uh, rogue talents that let you re-roll tests, especially for things like dexterity traps or perception searching or dexterity initiative. You can re-roll it and take the second if you don't like it. Cool. Actually, I think it does specifically say that you have to fail the test in the first place and then you get to re-roll it. Some of them are not like that, but you can take talents to give yourself, your character extra proficiencies uh, and extra particular skills, give them some rerolls, give them some stunt discounts so that you can perform some stunts for cheaper. And then you can also use them to start getting into the next bit, which is specializations. And specializations are very special. It's best to think of them like subclasses. Most characters will get maybe two over a, a, a 20 level career. If you actually manage to get to level, I think it's at least Fantasy Age and Blue Rose and Dragon Age. Once you hit 16 or 18, you will be a master in two specializations. Modern Age and the Expanse get a bit more loosey-goosey with it. They have particular levels when you can take specialization talents and you can mix and match them. Some of the Age games require you to go through the one progression to complete a specialization before you go to the next one. But some of them let you mix and match. Cool. I like this. I like this. Yeah. Specializations definitely usually carry a bit more weight. They usually um, give you very particular powers that make your character function differently. And uh, they usually carry a lot of context in the world that they're in. Like you can walk, you have the warrior walk up and say, I'm a master of armor training. Like, well, that's cool. Or you, they can walk up and say, I'm a guardian. And that tells them that. I'm standing next to you when we get into the fight. <laughs> Fair. This, it just like, I, I'm definitely, I'm going to have to look into this more because like, I'm just, I haven't found a fantasy engine in a while that I'm really happy with. Like I found a few that I'm okay with, but I haven't found one I'm happy with. And this is sounding very, very appealing. I'm glad to hear it. 
Fantasy Age is my specialty. I'd be happy to run you a game sometime. We might have to take you up on that. He. <laughs> and uh, the last thing that all Age games share is that all of them had stunts. A lot of them have their own stunts, and a lot of them share stunts, so if you're going from one age game to the next, not a bad idea to brush up on what stunts the next age game has got, but they'll probably look pretty familiar if you picked up one of them. Okay. This just popped into my head, but with the proliferation of assorted cards as accessories to RPGs, did they by chance make a set of stunt cards for any of these? As a matter of fact, they did. If you pick up the GM's kit, it comes with uh, a GM's screen, but it also comes out with, I believe, two copies of two separate cards. And one of them, I think that's right. And they've got stunts on either side of them. Okay. I should probably grab the modern age one because I'll bet you that one is stacked with stunts. But yes, I never run my games without handouts. This is a very good game to have some handouts for. And they have free resources on their website that you can grab and print off if you need to give folks uh, reference sheets. But yes, I never begin one without handing out the stunt sheets because it is a lot to remember. And a lot of folks have got particular standbys and some folks pick out some stunts that their character likes using very much. But, you know, it never hurts to be able to see your options in front of you and and pass them around the table if folks need to see. Oh, no, no. That sounds like yeah, perfect kind of thing that you'd want to have, you know, like a like you said, like a handout sheet on. Mm-hmm. The GM screen also has a bunch of the stunts printed on it as well. So the GM's got them. So then what can you do with the age system? The answer really is whatever you dang well please. It's very, 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 very fun to mod this game. And there's a very big community that has a lot of ideas about it, including me, who uh, might be trying to, considering starting a Twitch stream where i play a video game and tell people how i'd run it in the age system it's... don't do that then i'll have to try and make time for it <laughs> <laughs> you know they'll stick around for six days you can always grab them you can always watch them later <laughs> but you can like a couple of the examples that i wrote down here for folks who are familiar with like sengoku basara or dynasty warriors these video games where you've got these characters who are larger than life and swinging around these big weapons and smacking down like 30 people to the ground at one time. You can do that. We've got rules for that. You can use minions and mobs to just fill the area with bad guys that the GM doesn't. So, but the GM doesn't have to keep track of 60 individual health points, uh, mm-hmm. health totals. I can just say that this lump here is 60 guys. Go for it. If you want to make something flashy and emotional, like my, this is me showing my whole my whole butt here. Final Fantasy or Kingdom Hearts. They've got um, once Blue Rose came around with Conviction and Modern Age started doing it, and the Fantasy Age Companion added action points. You've got a lot. Uh, you've got extra resources that you can spend to get to get a bit more cinematic. Change how the scenes going. Get some more stump points. Get some rerolls. You can also, I don't know, if you need to make a Keyblade or something, you can go into the Fantasy Age Companion, grab the artifact rules to make something really wild. Oh, wow. If you want vehicles in your game, Fantasy Age has some rules for it. Modern Age has many rules for it, perhaps unsurprisingly. If you, and even if you want to do... got a little better at the wheel in the Modern Age than they were in medieval <laughs> times. You know, when you see the art that they've got in that Companion, you get some weird ideas. <laughs> But if you uh, also there's starship combat, if you want to reach into the expanse, mm-hmm. the expanse also has uh, introduced a Murphy's law kind of mechanic called the churn, where it it is a rules mechanic that basically says you know, things are going great. What could possibly go wrong while rubbing its fingers together? Gives you a little bit of scaffolding. Didn't you say that works something like as your PCs roll? stunt points they build up to a pool that when it hits certain levels trigger certain things or something like that that is correct if the pcs are doing particularly well in encounters it increases a little tracker and when the tracker hits certain thresholds uh, then it triggers particular effects that the gm gets to determine see I, i love mechanics like that i just think they're so much fun because one of two things happens either the players completely forget about it and it's a surprise and those are always fun Oh, or sure. you end up with that, and and this is the the thing. I don't know exactly how to describe it, but they're aware it's coming, and and watching that. I don't want to call it dread, but that that sort of 
anticipation, but not because they want it to happen. But watching that build is such a, a, a fun thing to do at the table for me. I agree. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, I don't know how to describe it, but I know exactly the, the feeling I'm talking about. Got that anticipation coming. Something is coming. Yeah. I think it's a lot of fun. The Expanse also introduced some other mechanics where if you don't like, if you don't even like having health on your characters, the Expanse uh, switches it out for something called Fortune, which is just a measurement of how rel- how much time has your character got left on this good green earth or red Mars or asteroid belt as per the Expanse. But if you take damage, you lose Fortune. You can spend Fortune to get bonuses on tests. If your Fortune runs out, oops. Yeah, it just sounds like like the way it's done sounds really modular and customizable without being all intertwined, which is something that some games do that's frustrating because it's like, well, I want this thing, but if I do that, then I need this, and then I need that, and then pretty soon it's like I have too many things. It can get that way. Well, it sounds like this, you can pull this little aspect and just that, and you don't have to take all these other little bits with it. Yes, that is. it usually works very well. Sometimes if you mix things that maybe work against each other, sometimes that can be a little weird. And then for some GMs who start stacking on things to, like, make a game more deadly, then sometimes, you know, that can have some unforeseen consequences when the dragon just swallows a character whole. That's always fun. Especially if you're using some of Modern Age's uh, game modes. Modern Age covers a lot of campaign types, so it has three separate game modes that you can use that alter how your characters progress and alter the stats of bad guys and alter what stunts are available. But you can play in gritty, pulpy, or cinematic mode. And you could probably apply that to other Age games. It would Those in particular would require a bit of work. They are baked into how Modern Age works. Mm -hmm. But... That's always a possibility. Like, for example, in a gritty campaign, your character's health never increases as they level up. Mm-hmm. Pulpy and cinematic let you deal a bit more damage as things go, th- as the adventures go on, because, uh, and they give, but they do give you slightly more health. If you're playing cinematic, then that's the whole, you know, smash the car into the helicopter situation. Mm-hmm. And then pulpy is when you want to play a diehard game. But what if you want to play diehard where you smash the car into the helicopter? <laughs> and you probably got to go cinematic. Absolutely my favorite scene in that movie. Actually, the line following that is my favorite thing in that <laughs> whole movie. You can absolutely do that in an age game. There's probably a stunt for saying a line like that, too. If there isn't, there should be. For the longest time, there's a one-point stunt called Bon Mot, where you just say the perfect line at this moment, and people in world will remember it. And if you can't think of something, the stunt says that you can pull the table to think of a cool line. That's cool. I like that. Yeah. It's a good thing to do if you've, you know, if you've spent your five other stunt points and you're not sure what to do with that last one. Just say something cool. There you go. All right. So keep giving me reasons to want to go buy these games. You're doing a good <laughs> job already. I'm glad. I'm glad to hear it. <laughs> Buying a lot of those, a lot of those books is, I usually find to be very rewarding for me personally, because it's, um, I think age works well in two specific mindsets. One is looking at each game as its own sort of self-contained RPG that has its own source books and it has its own communities. A lot of folks who have particular likings for one will make a lot of homebrew content for that particular RPG line. We spent, goodness, years and years collecting lots of resources for the Dragon Age RPG, which you can still access through our blog you have to go around looking for it a little bit but it is absolutely there and there's a lot of it and of course with all these other age games coming out there's lots of extra homebrew content goodness and now i've gone off on my own tangent well that's okay because i have a related tangent to track you down fantastic so this brought me to thinking does green ronin have a program for the age system similar to be it, you know, the DMs Guild or the Foundry for Genesis or I forget what it's called for Savage Worlds, but where there's like, so to speak, a sponsored program for people to be able to to put their content up as long as it meets certain standards and easily share it and maybe make like half a cent an hour for the time they put into it. 
I will answer that question actually because I just in just a second I just remembered where my last tangent was going. Okay. But the second way that I've been starting to look at age games is as one very very large system that has a lot of great mods and you should steal from every single age game to make what you want. You can make something very unique. I currently am stealing from I'm playing I'm running a fantasy age game. And I'm using a lot of the stuff, the extra mods that come out of the companion. And I'm currently stealing from Dragon Age. Uh, I'm stealing from Blue Rose. I'm stealing from I'm stealing from Modern Age, and I'm stealing from the Expanse. I'm reaching from a little bit all over the place. I'm getting some creepy spells from Dragon Age. I grabbed a talent from Blue Rose and turned it into a specialization for one of my friends. I am taking. Uh, I think I'm taking some weaponry and some vehicles and the challenge test rules for modern age and i am stealing starship combat from the expanse for airship combat so once you've got all this stuff together and you and you've read all these cool books and you've got a good idea of how a lot of it works there is in fact a program that is coming along and it is called the advent the age creators alliance it's going to be on drive through rpg it's not quite started yet although uh uh, apparently, they are very close to getting it launched. You can submit adventures and your own personal campaign settings into this program. It's going to be on Drive-Thru RPG. I might have said that already. Called the Age Creators Alliance. It is not available just yet. And mm-hmm. uh, right now, you can write stuff for Fantasy Age and for Modern Age. And they are currently looking into the possibility of letting folks write for things like Blue Rose. Uh, which is a Green Ronin property. They can't have you write for Dragon Age or the Expanse because that does not belong to Green Ronin. Makes sense. But they might include some stuff like Green Ronin's own setting Freeport, maybe their own setting Threefold. And I understand that they're making a new setting for Fantasy Age specifically to go with the core rulebook, although we don't know anything about it yet. I'm very excited to find out. Cool. Cool. Because I think that when they when companies do things like that, and and specifically with... Like, I, I, I'm most familiar with, with the Genesis community, but like it, it grows the game and it allows everyone to share. And the other thing it does is it just makes it easier because now you don't have to track high and low all over the internet looking for things. For sure. I, I'm really liking this sort of surge in user created content programs. It's very exciting to see. It really is. And I think, you know, that's that's the thing. And I, I had a conversation with someone else not too long ago about this. But I think that the RPG industry is very unique in that, you know, these books that they're writing and we're buying, whatever, it's not at all the same thing as a fiction book or a movie or, or even music, because these are books and products intended for you to take and use to make your own stories. You know what I mean? Like it, it, it's like a combination textbook toolkit, but not even that really. You know what I mean? Like it's, it's this weird thing where you need to put out a certain level of product, but it's not intended to really be the finished product. Does that make sense? Yeah. 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 And I think it just, it just makes for a really weird spot, you know, like, cause it's, it's not a, it doesn't fit the big corporate model. (laughs) True story. Yes. Okay, that was my little spiel. <laughs> yeah. I think that that's a very good conversation to have. I, I'm personally very curious to see what's going to come around on the Age Creators Alliance. I know I follow the Green Ronin Discord, and I know that there's a lot of very excited people who are already writing stuff. They didn't really need prompting to do it, and they share it with folks all the time, and, they, and there's a lot of folks who are happy to give you their opinions on whether or not you should mix two particular things. Uh, and there's a lot of folks who are always looking to play some more games because it is still not really a niche game, but just a game that not as many folks know about as, say, like Dungeons and Dragons. So well, there's always people who are looking for a game. You know, that's what the age appropriate discord, as they call it. Yes. The Green Ronin age appropriate discord or grad. Yes. I'm actually a member over there, although I don't swing by. It scrolls a little too fast for me to keep up with most days. Mm hmm. I usually, I have like, I think I only pick like three channels that I watch very closely. Fair. And wouldn't you know that there are a bunch of age games, because I, I do have a brand. I'm shocked. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Oh, geez. What else do we need to, to go over here? Um, I have some pro tips for folks who want to try out an age game. That sounds good. Yeah. Uh, these are, this is stuff that I usually end up going over with folks uh, in the, in the first session. And, you know. 
Your mileage, of course, may vary on some of these, but I think that these are just uh, good things to jump into the game with uh, in mind. One of the first questions I usually end up answering is you don't need the focus the GM calls for unless they specifically ask for it. So if somebody says, if the GM says, I need a dexterity acrobatics test to go over that beam that's over that raging river, some players will say, oh, shoot, I don't have that one. You don't need it unless the GM specifically calls for it. You can just roll a straight roll the, the relevant ability test. If you're doing like magical research or trying to hack a computer, you might need a specific focus for specialized knowledge. But again, that's only if the GM asks you to do that. One thing that I usually try to tell folks, and this usually hits in the first session, because I think because of uh, a lot of play behaviors that folks get from other games, which are absolutely understandable, but occasionally bite you in this one, is don't pick up your dice just yet. The stunt die contains a lot of extra information that the GM might need to know. The stunt die tells you how many stunts you generated if you roll doubles. It tells you how much success you made if you're doing an advanced test. It tells you how maybe just if the GM just needs to know how well you succeeded at something, they need to know what the stunt die result was. If you've already picked up your dice and you don't know what the stunt die result is, some GMs will have particular resolutions for that. I usually just say, let's default to three, slightly below average. Seems fair. Yeah, but yes, so that compulsion to grab your dice because you want to get the table cleared off or you want to get ready for your next roll, hold off on it for just a little bit until the GM asks you for another one because they might need to know what that stunt die result was. Especially if uh, you're rolling against, rolling in a pose test with somebody, then you'll probably want to know what your total was and if it tied, what your stunt die result was. Okay. You only get stunt points on successful rolls. This one is a tricky one to work with sometimes because it can be very deflating for a player to roll a dice, get doubles, get excited, pick out stunts to use. And in the whole time, I'm trying to get their attention to let them know you didn't you didn't get it. You didn't get it this time. I'm sorry. Yeah. But yes, if you roll a roll a test, even if you generate stunt points, uh, if you didn't succeed, you lose those stunt points. So just double check with your GM that you did, in fact, succeed. Yeah, always a good rule of thumb, I think. Mm -hmm. Have more than one set of dice ready to go. This can be more useful for folks who maybe have to roll big numbers for damage or for folks in later parts of the adventure where maybe you're getting multiple attacks or you're casting more than one spell at a time. Just, you know, it couldn't hurt to have multiple sets, especially because if we're circling back to don't pick up your dice just yet, you might need to leave a couple of those on the table and keep track of which one's which. And actually, this one is a bit of a biggie because of how the adventure game engine works is have a GM that you trust. This this one's very particular for me and for a couple of my players, because the adventure game engine gives the GM a lot of power, I think, compared to a lot of other RPGs. We grew up, uh, I grew up, uh, I spent a lot of time playing games like Pathfinder, where the GM operates on all the same rules that the players do. It keeps things fair, and that's absolutely excellent for what it does, and that's just a good thing to be doing. Age doesn't really do that. The GM has their own tool sets, and players have their own particular scaffolding in their like character classes, or their careers, or their professions, and their backgrounds. Everything is very codified for a player character, but GMs are playing with a different toolbox. So, with that in mind, grab a good GM for this, because nothing stinks more than somebody picking up age, realizing how much power they have, and torturing their players. Well, I mean, not to try and take anything away from that, but I think that's having a GM you trust, I think, is, is really vital to pretty much any game, to be honest. I mean, but it sounds like especially because of the way this is set up. I would agree with you, yes. Because, I mean, I've, you know, we've all had those adversarial game table experiences and those generally don't end well. Generally not. Uh, let's see. Stunt paralysis is a known problem because there are a lot of stunts that are available for the game. And it's very exciting to roll your doubles, get a lot of stunt points, and then spend the next 15 minutes at the table looking at the stunt tables because you want to make the right choice. And, you know, that's legit. It can never be a bad idea to pick a couple ahead of time that you think look either like fun or like something that your character would use or even put them together in a cool combo. If you happen to get a lot of stun points at once, you can then have a package ready to go. Cool. GMs should not be afraid to experiment with the age RPG. 
it is a toolbox game and it really shines when you mod it for your particular experience. If you're trying to create a dark game, you can do things like increase damage, you can add wound thresholds, you can add particularly nasty talents or stunts, or just give monsters very, very nasty powers. If you want to make a game that's focused on a lot of social aspects, you can add things like the relationship rules. You can go into Blue Rose and start determining things like your destiny and your fate. You can start playing around with corruption rules. Those are always fun. <laughs> If you want guns and cars in your game, find the book that's got them and put them in there. Find the way that you want to run it. And sometimes none of the, like in my particular case, I don't want the, um, the space combat rules in the expanse are not quite what I'm after. So I'm going to be taking those by the cheekbones and rattling them around so that they fit the shape that I want to do. That can mean a little extra work. I usually find it's very rewarding. I mean, Look, I don't know of any game where if you're mixing and matching and, well, let's see, I want to modify spaceship rules to run airships. Yeah, you're going to have to do some work, so. Mm -hmm. And last is you are very much not alone in enjoying the adventure game engine. It's not quite a niche game, but it's not quite super out there. I'm trying to help with that because I think it's very fun and it's great for getting folks into the hobby and because it can be as complicated or as simple as you want it to be. So there is a very large community that you can pull on through that Green Running Discord and through, I'm sure that there's a, a dozen other four, uh, discords you can get into. We just featured a very large and hopping discord called the Age Nexus on our one of our most recent shows. They're a big hub for running games. So if you've got games that you want to play, they've, they've also expanded from Dragon Age, which is what they were originally doing. There mm -hmm. are a lot of folks out there. If you go looking for them, they are happy to welcome you. Cool. And now one thing you, you've talked about how much extra information you can glean through the stunt die and, and so on and so forth. But you also told oh. me last time that if you are feeling kind of intimidated by that, you can also play this as almost just kind of a straight up, you know, not using all that stuff. And it, if that's what you want to do, you're like to get your Absolutely. feet wet or whatever. Yeah. Just go for the numbers. That, that's definitely much more useful for folks who really want to get into some nitty gritty stuff or make it a bit more narrative, especially for folks who are maybe coming off of Genesis who want a bit more nuance in what their die tells them. It gives them a, it gives you a real quick and dirty one means that you barely succeeded. Six means that you passed it with flying colors. And sometimes, sometimes GMs can do it to help determine how badly you beefed a test. Mm-hmm. I have seen some like critical failure stunts that got written back when Dragon Age was the only age game. Some folks uh, have even gone so far as to mod that when you fail tests, then the GM gets stunt points that you the stunt points that you rolled on it. I mean, part of me really likes that, but I also sometimes have a little bit of a gritty side. I like some like kind of horror type games too. So, mm -hmm. but I I kind of like it, and I think for me, where like I like Genesis, I've played it some. And I think it's great for certain things, but there are times where I want a little more granularity to it. And it feels like this kind of hits both almost. You know what I mean? I would agree. I think that, I think for me specifically, age hits an excellent spot between crunchy and fluffy. Gives you a lot of scaffolding and there are a lot of rules available if you need to know, if you like, not if you, if you really want to know how maybe like, the folks who wrote the book would run a particular situation, you can probably find something or, and they give you a lot of tools to kind of wing it if you're not sure. But the game is also very good at letting you do what you want to do with your game and what you and your fellow players and GM want to do. That's the whole point, right? Yes. It's our game. We'll do what we want. For sure. <laughs> my players are very spooked that I am taking the churn mechanic and putting it into my game. We're calling it the encroaching malice. And because I've got some players who have very recently gotten hold of some spells that let them adjust die rolls and stunt die results, that encroaching malice is going to go up very fast, I think. So I'm curious to see how it works. Well, but like I said, that there you get to that, that weird anticipation of they know it's coming, you know. Yes. And it, <laughs> I've actually managed to work it into the story because they've got two angry demigods on their tail now. And, you know, when that encroaching malice hits those thresholds, then 
they just got a little bit of divine retribution happening. Yeah, well, and especially with something like that, you could do something really, really, you know, sinister. Like if they're using that to bump those up, the value they bump up doubles in terms of the malice pool or whatever. Right, right. You know, I don't know that, you know, I'm not trying to tell you how to do things, but just because (laughs) like, because, you know, you're playing with fate, increasing the things. (laughs) It's going to turn on you. Yeah. All right. Well, I think uh, we've rambled on and back and forth, but I think, uh, have we covered pretty much everything you wanted to cover on, on the adventure game engine and all that? Yeah, I think we got it. All right. Well then, um, before we get into, uh, couple other things where can people find you and your podcast and all that fun stuff so many places so glad you asked we take listener questions uh and topics and episode topic suggestions and custom content if you'd like to share it with us we take it at aegispodcast at gmail.com that's a-g-e-i-s podcast at gmail.com you can find us on soundcloud at soundcloud.com slash ages podcast facebook at slash ages podcast twitter is twitter.com slash ages podcast a-g-e-i-s-p is capitalized we have a blog ageinterestseries.home.blog you can find us on twitch when we do our we've been doing our couple of our shows recently live as a bit of an experiment so far i think it's been working out pretty excellent twitch.tv slash ages podcast you can support us on Patreon if you like what you do and get a couple extra benefits at patreon.com slash podcast. I'm very glad that I managed to keep this pretty consistent. Feels good. <laughs> and if you want to check out our Wonders of Thetis blog, which is still out there for our Dragon Age stuff, it's wondersofthetispodcast.wordpress.com. If you join the Green Ronin Age Appropriate Discord or the D20 Radio Discords, I am on there as Caught the Protector. Feel free to send me any uh, questions about the game or episode topic suggestions or custom content that you'd like to share, you can send it to me personally there on Discord. Cool. Very cool. I shall have to go check a few of those places out just because I'm an Ebnos, and this game sounds... (laughs) (laughs) I appreciate it. All right. I think it's then time for Game of the Week. Game of the Week. Game of the Week. All right. So you know how to play Game of the Week because you played it once already, but no one knows. So there's no proof. Um, there's no proof you can't so, prove uh, anything would you like to go first or would you like me to go first uh i can go first that sounds fun all right my game of the week is a saucy sounding game that is not as wild as it sounds unless you want it to be it's called thirsty sword lesbians i've heard of this <laughs> it is uh it is the only rpg i think i've uh, or at least in recent memory that i've actually backed on kickstarter and let me let me pull this up here, and I'll I'll read it to you. I'll read uh, uh, the pitch that they've got because I'm mostly just going to go on for half an hour about how fun <laughs> it sounds. Uh, so I'll give you their quick pitch. Thirsty sword lesbians battle the Lady of Chains when her enforcers march down from the frosty north. They rocket through the stars to safeguard diplomats, ending a generation's old conflict. Even when swords are crossed, they seek peace with their opponent, and sometimes connect more deeply than anyone expects. A sword duel can end in kissing, a witch can gain her power by helping others find love, and an entire campaign can be built around wandering matchmakers flying from system to system. Thirsty Sword Lesbians is a role-playing game for telling queer stories with friends. If you love angsty disaster lesbians with swords, you have come to the right place. I backed this, and I have devoured this core rulebook, and it looks like so very much fun. It is... Is very much a game that is built to be dramatic and ex- action-filled and exciting and, you know, maybe a little saucy if you want it to. I've heard a lot of good things about it, honestly. I like, you know, different different uh, discords and whatnot I hang out on or, or whatever. I've heard a lot of people talk really highly of it, and that's what, based and Powered by the Apocalypse, is it not? It is, that's right. Very, very cool. I'm very excited to one day try playing it. It's, uh, <laughs> you can do actions for, like, uh, make a confession Finally, I think it's like finally kiss, uh, <laughs> reveal a secret about yourself or a friend. And they've got, uh, let's see, uh, the core rulebook itself, I think it has a couple of settings attached to it, but a lot of the back, the Kickstarter stuff is going to be adding a lot more settings to it. So there is more content coming for it. And I'm personally extremely excited. It looks like a lot of fun. Yeah. Yeah. I've heard a lot of people really excited about it. It does sound like a, a really, like you said, a really just fun hey and that's what games are all about right having fun for sure 
All right. Well, I have one as well. Maybe not as dramatic as that. But <laughs> uh, it's a game called Nuked. And uh, it's, it's from a company called Geeks Collaborative Gaming. The PDF will run you all of a whopping $4. Hmm. And Nuked, to read the copy on drive-thru, Nuked is a, quote, bleeped-up game of mutants, magic, and mayhem in a world gone mad. The apocalypse came and went. The people that bet on us doing ourselves in with a doomsday weapon would have won the betting pool, but it was the angels that pushed us there. Now we struggle to survive and fight against each other and nuclear monsters over the scraps the cathedrals allow us. Nuked is like a good wasteland ride, fast, with enough nuts, bolts, and scrap to get you where you want to go, but without all the extra junk like airbags, regulators, and safety features that get in the way of a good romp. Excellent. So, yeah, it sounds like, and, and just based on the cover art, which is shell casings, a couple of karambits, an assault rifle, and a soft drink cup with a biohazard symbol on it, it doesn't appear to take itself too seriously. Excellent. We're talking about 80 pages in total. So, I mean... Like I said, and, and hey, at, at $4, I mean, it, it seems like just a fun one. You know, you might only play it a couple times or might be a fun thing for like a little mini convention or something like that. Some good zany apocalypse fun. Exactly. So I think that's my game of the week. Sounds like a fun choice. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's I've been watching it for a while. and I'd forgotten it was only $4 because I think the title is what caught me originally because it just went, ooh. Another one for the must read pile. <laughs> no kidding. Pile keeps getting taller. This is a problem. <laughs> it seems like this podcast is not necessarily discouraging this behavior. But that's the cool thing with like a little lightweight thing like this, where like, I mean, the rules can't be that complex because if you've got a setting, any sort of equipment, anything else, and it's only 80 pages and there's any art, there can't be much to it. For sure. You know, as far as, you know, like heavyweight mechanics. Gosh, I just opened the preview and the first internal image in the book is this thing that looks like kind of a mutant centaur about to bite the head off a kitten. Oh, but in like man. this goofy black and black and white, like you know, like not like it's not gory. It's kind of like that goofy teenage mutant ninja turtle style art. Gotcha. Very <laughs> good. Got some Saturday morning cartoon vibes. Yeah, like yeah, all the internal art looks like it's black and white. A very classical feel then. Yeah, it looks like I mean there's a little preview of the character sheet, which looks like they managed to make it take up most of a page. Um <laughs> very good. Looks really simple though. I am going to have to get this. All right. Enough of, enough of me rambling. Um, <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, I want to thank you for taking the time to come back again since things malfunctioned last time and, and talk to us about this system. But I really do. I, I like the sound of this engine. And uh, it's something I'm going to have to look into because, like I said, it, it seems like it hits that sweet spot where you've got a lot of narrative, but there's still that little bit of of math where you, you have a little better in my head, it's that I have a little better handle on the probabilities, even though that may not actually be the case. Mm -hmm. Target numbers in age are usually pretty low. I think, uh, what the average target number to hit is an 11. Mm -hmm. And that also kind of plays into, um, the, uh, what's it? The probability curve of rolling three D sixes. Most common rolls are nine, 10 and 11. Right. Yeah, but it, but yeah, it's accessible. I mean, who doesn't have, you know, at least three dice laying around? And if all you have is, you know, the ones you can steal out of Yahtzee, then get a Sharpie and put a mark on one of them. There you go. <laughs> Even just like one die that's bigger than the other two, you can do with that. Yeah. Yeah. Heck, I was at the dollar store the other day and they had these like two inch foam dice. Oh, I almost bought a couple packs of them. Just to be able to throw at people who aren't paying attention at the game table. That won't be aggravating around the table. <laughs> yeah, they're like soft, squishy foam, but they're like two inches, two inch cubes. And grab some of those big dice that they throw at like the opening ceremony of Gen Con that are like uh, a foot to a side. Oh, jeez. Just grab three of them. Like, all right, here we go. Where's the where's the kit? Let me get to the kitchen floor. <laughs> oh, but yes, thank you, thank you for taking the time again to come talk to us. I appreciate it very much. It's been my pleasure. Thank you for having me on. Well, you're welcome. But like I said, I think thanks go more your direction. But uh, I guess with that, then, uh, unless you have anything more to add. No, not really. Keep rolling sixes on that spirit die, as I like to say. Oh, I called it the spirit die. That's what I call it in my games. Sometimes you change little things, like just like what a, what a rule is called. Yeah, hey, whatever works, right? <laughs> 
Just beat them with the spirit stick. That's all. There we go. So they well, get it right. Keep, keep rolling sixes on that stunt die from Ren from the Adventure Game Engine Interest series. All right. And uh, with that, I guess it's time to remind you to be kind to each other and go play some RPGs. Intro and outro music by the band 12 Noon. You can email us at meandsteverpg at gmail.com. You can find us on Twitter and RPGs. Find us on Facebook at Me and Steve RPG Podcast. On Discord at Me and Steve RPGs. And as always, all of these links are in the show notes. Thank you and be kind to one another. Cigar. Cigar, 20 bucks, dog. You got to go down the street to the store and buy that. Okay. So now that we have, appears to have all things working, mm-hmm. I suppose it is time to get to the serious business of podcasting about made up things. So serious. He. <laughs> 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 foreshadowing I, perhaps i i will warn you that other steve is is known to be an agent of chaos but i won't tell you which one of us is other steve or <laughs> which one of us is just steve oh no <laughs> there's always another steve <laughs>